I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in a storage space in Atlanta, it's Andy Greenwald! Happy to be back. Sorry I missed you on Monday, man. You feeling better? I'm a little weak, but you know, this show can get me out of bed. <laughs> it's feeling a little rough. Andy, we have a special guest today. We do. I'm very excited to bring onto the podcast, I, I think a friend of the podcast, a, an admitted occasional dabbler and listener, uh, the president of programming for FX and FX Productions, Nick Grad. Hey, guys. What's up, Nick? Nick, we're, we're very happy to have you here, not only because you are a friend of the pod and a nice fellow, but because you were instrumental in bringing, shepherding Atlanta onto the air. And as much as we want to talk about the season finale, this we is also... Not, this is not a baskets pod? Oh, we could do baskets, too. <laughs> I'm baskets back, man. Baskets back in January. Emmy award-winning Louis Anderson. Um, we want to talk about the whole process, how it came to you as an idea, how you got it onto the air, and how it became this amazing thing that it that it became. Are you are you prepared to talk about all those I, things? First of all, I want to say that I'm a huge fan of the of the pod, and Thank it's you. kind of it's a little bit seeing the wizard behind the curtain. <laughs> it, it, it's very impressive when you see us seeing in our layer, Chris right? Yeah. Scream Andy Greenwald. <laughs> I have a, a pretty cool Merlin hat on right now, too. So Chris is actually available to scream my name <laughs> at social events. He's kind of got a Michael Buffer I need that app. app. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a hot app. And, uh, and I was just sort of, I was a little worried last week when I, uh, I knew I was coming on. And, of course, you know, I'm following Rafi. Yes. <laughs> That's not fair. That Maybe. is not fair. It's tough. In that very chair. He sat yelling Gattaca. That is, that is a tough one. But, you know, not one thing that your network has proven and Atlanta has proven is that not every episode has to follow the same right. tone as the episode that came before, right? So <laughs> this, is, this is the new television. We can go from, from, from improvisational comedy to whatever you want this to be. Deeply confessional yeah. <laughs> executive yeah. moments. Um, Nick, tell us a little bit about... So do you remember when Atlanta figuratively landed on your desk? Well, we, uh, God, I don't remember, a bunch of, a couple of years ago, we had a, we had a kind of a quote unquote general meeting with Donald and, you know, he started talking about, you know, a world, it was pretty free form. It was about a feeling and a world and, you know, it took place in Atlanta and it would dealt with rap, but it was, it was, it was a very kind of rough idea out there, but, you know, we loved we were John was someone that we had sort of marked down, someone we were chasing, we, and we really wanted to develop with them. So you know, we we of course sort of threw our hat in the ring and said, yeah, we'd love to, you know, we'd love to have you write a script, you know, and sort of figure this thing out. And you know, you know, thankfully he he chose us. I don't I don't remember at the time how competitive it was. Um, you know, look, I think part of, I mean, I, I'd like to think you know we had a good meeting. But I'd also like to think that part of the reason he chose us was, you know, I think the trail that Louis sort of mm -hmm. blazed mm -hmm. for us, and 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 knowing that we could sort of support these ever increasing malleable half hours, you know, it could be anything. It doesn't have to be. You don't have to hit a certain mark of how much comedy there is. You know, it can be dramatic. It can be comedic. It doesn't have to be linear and um, you know and I you know I think it was we were excited about it but I don't think we sort of realized you know that it was something real until I think 
over a year later, the script landed on our desk and you read it and you're like, holy shit, like this is really different. This is really special, but this is definitely something we can program. You know, it sort of fits in the in the sort of half hour brand that we had. Did he say the words that have become attached to the development of the show? Did he say in that meeting, I want to do Twin Peaks with rappers? Did he use these words that kind of are exciting? It's funny how that's become the Mr. Chips. What's was, was the Breaking Bad one? Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mr. Chips is Scarface. Yeah. This is, right. The, the, that's essentially the de facto log line of a show that rejects log lines at every opportunity. But I imagine even if he didn't say those words, it's it's always a hurdle to get what's in someone's head unless they put it on a page. So in that meeting, were there any of the strands that that became? You know, the I, show? I don't remember that. I mean, obviously, I remember reading the script, and you know, there's still the scene on on the bus, you know, with the sandwich, you know, and there's the talk of the dog, and so <laughs> you know, like it, it wasn't like something that was sort of jammed in there at the end. You know, it was definitely a part of it. Um, and there was like there was also a really amazing scene in the pilot that we ended up not shooting that was this crazy scene that all took place in like a oneer on the subway you know it, it sort of went through all these different incarnations but it was I mean once you read it you sort of it was more as Donald said it was like a feeling mm-hmm. and then you're like oh okay like I sort of get it and then you read the script and you're like oh I really get it now and you know, we were all sort of, it was just so original, just like nothing you'd have ever read before. So let me ask you a question. Where did you work before FX? Like what's like in terms of your... Well, I've been at FX for 14 years. Okay. So even in that time period, when does It's a Feeling become the kind of thing that can get a show sold, right? Because that feels like something that from an outside perspective would have only been in the last three, four years where you could walk in and be like, I have an idea for a world. There's not. There's no plane crash in an island. There's no hospital. There's just this idea I have. You know, look. I think especially in half-hour development, you know, when you're when you're when you're paying people to write scripts, I think I think there's a certain amount of R and D that goes into that yeah. process. And so, look, I think if it's someone that's really talented that you believe in, you're you know, the glass is more than half full, and you're willing to sort of roll the dice and say, yeah, let, let's write a script. I think, you know. I think the marketplace is super competitive right now, and now you read about all these places, you know, having to go straight to series and immediately shoot a pilot, and you know that gets a little tricky. But I think, you know, being able to have someone put something down on paper and and then you can sort of really see it, you know, it, 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 you know, it's you know, you watch the show right now and you're like, oh my god, this seems like the craziest idea how did they put that mm-hmm. on but i think if you go through these stages you can you can sort of understand um how how that can come to be well, let's talk about those stages um what you alluded to with things going straight to series and the competitive um, nature of the marketplace there's a sense and I, I think we can pull some examples but that you know that there are some of the players who are swooping in like a netflix or something is basically saying Okay, go make it. Okay, go make it. Okay, go make it. And it, it, they seem to be to some degree, and I don't know the inner workings of Netflix at all, frankly, but um, leaving behind some of the skills that more traditional, I, I can't believe I'm calling FX a more traditional broadcaster, but you've been around for a little bit longer. Um, some of the skill sets and values that you guys like to do, which is you like to develop, you like to do R&D, you like to have back and forth, you like to get behind under the hood with the creators and work on stuff. Um, what What is that process like? Like, you have the script, you have a willing partner in Donald. 
where does it go from there? How long is the process? Do you have a time frame, or is it very organic? Like, you know, this this process developing with Donald is different than developing with you know, all the other people you develop with uh, Louis or or Ryan Murphy or whomever. You know, look the 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 ability that you have when you don't really have the you know a set schedule, so you don't have to launch you know like the broadcast networks you know a bunch of shows in September allows you to sort of do the sort of Ernest and Julio Gallo thing you know and <laughs> and, and, and and take your time and so everything I, I would say every show every project has had a its own idiosyncratic journey and um, it's really about look most people, I guess, who are artists want some, on some level, want someone to say, we love it, just go make it, and you have no interference. But I think, I mean, if you talk to people who've worked with us, look, I think there's a learning process on both ends mm-hmm. from it. And yeah, it's great to be able to have these um, crossroads where you can sort of cut bait if you need to, if it's just not there. But for the most part, I think everyone learn something at each stage of the journey and I, I think you'll learn so much in writing it I think we've learned we learned so much putting it on his feet and shooting it and and then you learn just Luke Donald was talking to us about you know ideas for the second season and he's learned so much not only from making the first season mm-hmm. but from from watching it and seeing people's feedback and the whole thing is a I think it's a feedback loop that's really important in the in the in Putting something on the air. There's uh, a narrative, like I think that one of the narratives about the show is that, and it, and and rightfully so, is that this is what happens when you uh, give people who ordinarily don't get a chance to make television a chance. Whether it's somebody like Hiro Murai directing who had not done television before per se, and one of the things that is interesting to me about Atlanta though is for as sort of progressive or rule breaking as it seems when you watch it. It also feels like the work of people who know how to make television. You know what I mean? I'm never bored when I'm watching Atlanta. There's there's never a feeling like I'm like, this is really like, where are we going here? And yet, and this is that dovetails perfectly with the question I wanted to ask, which is a lot of these people hadn't made television. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a trust process. You get the script. You're excited about Donald's vision. He puts it on the page. You're going back and forth. He's a good creative partner. But at a certain point, you cut the check and let them go off to Atlanta and film this thing. What was it about this crew, about about Donald himself, about his brother, about his the people he's working with, about Hero, that allowed you to say, yeah, go do it. Yeah, look, I think you sort of earn more credit in the, in the bank as you go through the process and sort of prove yourself. So, you know, Donald writes this great script. Okay, man, this guy really is a visionary and, and really talented writer. You know, we, we did a big search for directors we had some really interesting names and then you know at some point Donald wrote a very impassioned email about hero and why he thinks he's the right choice and we you know we spent a bunch of time watching heroes a yeah, lot of a short his, film with Donald right there yeah, and yeah. watching a lot of his videos for Donald and at, you know at the end of the day you're like why why are we going to jam someone in there when this guy's very talented i know he hasn't done television but our creator totally believes in this guy and I think we have to support our creators and you know not make this safe choice totally when you guys are in that R&D stage what are some of the references and influences that are getting tossed around by Donald by Hero by you guys in terms of like capturing because you watch it and I've, I've actually been 
you know, there's like stuff where I feel like it has like a real Altman feel and there's stuff where I feel like it has a real Coen Brothers feel like in terms of the dream logic that sometimes happens with it. Was there anything in particular that Donald was using as reference points that you guys were suggesting as reference points that you remember? I mean, here's what I remember the most is Donald would say, I wanted to be, you know, like this movie or that movie, but but he'd always followed up with like, but I, I wanted it to be really funny too. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, we sort of felt like, okay, there has to be this right balance of comedy. It doesn't have to be, you know, as, you know, funny as, you know, overtly funny as it's always sunny in Philadelphia, but it has to have comedy in, in, in some degree. And I, look, I think once Louis was on the air and you realize it, it can be anything it wants and it still can be compelling, mm-hmm. then you can sort of say, okay, well, you're going to have this much comedy. That's fine. But, you know, he still, he still wanted, he still at the end of the day, wanted to make something that was funny. What about casting? Because um, obviously you guys felt comfortable enough with their auditions, with everything else to cast, Brian Tyree Henry, uh, Keith Stanfield, um, uh, Zazie Beetz, like to cast them as part of the ensemble. Was there a moment though when you started seeing dailies or cuts of episodes when you realized just how remarkable they were? Because I think that's the other thing about the show. It's it. One of the reasons we're so excited about it, and many people are, is that it, it, it didn't just feel promising. You know, it's very easy to get behind a show that feels potentially good from the beginning. Potential can get you through at least a season. This felt fully formed and alive in such a way. Like, we feel like we know those people, so that when I watched the finale this week, and I realized that, that, that Ern and Alfred are saying goodbye for the day in the episode, and that means for the year for us, I was sad. I'm going to miss them. Yeah, and watching, watching Brian Tyree, it was almost like watching, like, Steven Adams like emerge over the course of a playoffs. You know what I mean? No, because it's like you're like, okay, I'm here to watch Russell Westbrook. I'm here to watch Glover. And then you're like, oh, look at this guy. And and then you're like, who's this guy? Yeah, yeah. We were fortunate enough. I mean, Alexa Fogel, I think is 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 one of the best casting directors. I mean, she cast for David Simon, and um, you know, like every choice that was presented to us was the choice that they ended up hiring. There was no like, oh no, we don't like this person. Who's next? They presented this cast, and we said we watched the auditions. We said yes, and I think you know. I remember watching the dailies, being like, oh my god, this is just incredible. And I think part of what Alexa does and is you know casts incredibly well trained actors who seem like they're in a documentary. You know, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's really. Um, you know, when we, we, you saw the dailies, you sort of, you're like, okay, these, these, like, we have a, we have fire on all positions here, so. What's that like in the offices when you're making, you know, the show's in production, you guys at FX are, are starting to get excited, you see what's coming in, you feel like it's, it, is there a specific feeling in the office when you know maybe you're riding a good one, or do you not want to jinx it? Yeah, no, I, I, I remember we were watching the, the first, um, you know, even after the pilot, when we're watching the the first and second and third episodes, where we we watch all the cuts together in the office, and um, and all of you, you mean like the the, the department, everyone, that... John Langraff to the current exec on the show, uh, we all watch it together so we can start and stop and and talk about all of our, just really be of of one mind yeah. about it, um, and not give conflicting notes at different times, and you know we're all looking around, being like this, this is like. This is this is on a whole nother level, and you know it. We've had that feeling before. I remember feeling it when we're watching Louis cuts. Yeah, you know. But the other thing is, you know, with a lot of our shows, especially the half hours, you know, 
like I, I, I had a really good feeling that people would find the show and love it. I actually am, am amazed how, how much faster it's happened than I imagined because I think all these other shows took a year. It just mm-hmm. took word of mouth. Yeah. Took people saying like, have you seen Louie? It's like, we're not friends if you're not watching the show. And I'm so blown away by how fast both the critics, but both um, just the people, you know, I'm, are like everyone. It's just, I think it's doing extremely well. And the feedback is fantastic. People like get it and understand it and are cherishing it right away. So that's 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 blown my mind in a world where there's so much television. Right. I mean, you guys. Someone call it peak, peak television. It's, it's almost if there's someone in your office. It's like coined this term. I wish there was like a mountain of television. Yeah, like a lot. And then of it, we were sort of kind of at the top, but I don't know what I would call it. Acme. Acme. Yeah. I, I sort of that wish doesn't, that doesn't. Work. I wish there was a guy in an executive position in a network who. Right, kept a running tally of how many shows there were on the air. It's kind and of like an elected office of television. Yeah, yeah. but you know, <laughs> it, it, it proves the adage that like there's too much good television and not enough great television. And it's yes. it's, it's lovely to know when great television comes along, people people can find it and recognize it. But you guys, um, I'm, I joke, but all networks are aware of this. FX, perhaps more most vocal about it and, and um, most articulate about expressing it, like. It is a problem to get noticed. I mean, there's the marketplace is completely flooded, um, and there are a lot of good to great shows that just sort of get washed away or become essentially niche th- shows, which you can survive at at this point. I think that one of the problems though and, is that there are a lot of pretty good shows. Well, that's a whole other issue, which I agree with. But yeah. I, but I but I'm curious, just from a, I think we have opinions about it, which we can we can discuss now as well. But from a network level, do you have a theory internally why this was able to break through? Well, shout out to FX marketing department, which, who I think is just, you know, incredible. And, um, and they, they, you know, they get these shows. They, I mean, they, 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 they love them. Like I was going to ask you about this. And it's not like we sort of outsource this stuff. We have mm-hmm. an in-house marketing group that is as passionate about FX as, as we are. And they really collaborated really well with Donald and just, you know, kind of had a great instinct as to what to do, and how to tease it, and how not to, how not to show it, but to but to tease it, well, but in I, a way. Yeah, I mean the the I mean I didn't mean to interrupt you. I mean it was just the everything from the font of the yes. credits, the bumper music, the the Atlanta Twitter feed is really good. Like but, the, the everything but, about like soup to nuts, it's part of like an entire piece. But it also takes a level of confidence because the billboards that were everywhere are three guys, yeah. one of which we know, but two of which we don't necessarily know, uh, with peaches in their mouth, and then a word that's a city. And that communicates, it's completely appropriate for the show, but that's a leap of faith, because you're not overdoing it. You're not trying to yeah. trick anyone or it's convince not, anyone. You're not, not yelling. It's not, they didn't make the show for the poster. He's like got a, 24 hours yeah. to save the president. Look, I, I, I think our marketing team, you know, they don't, they're, they're not trying to sell you everything and explain the whole show in one image because you can't do that no you know it's just got to be something iconic and arresting that at least allows you to get to the next point where you're really you're interested you're receptive you're like what is that that looks really interesting but you know there there's too many other shows you see out there with where they're just like five people standing around because they feel like they have to show the whole well they're all laughing too yeah. that means it's and funny it's, it's and just it's... becomes generic and it just 
washes over or Mandy you. Moore is crying and, and then it becomes a big hit. So I know that he is obviously now Lando Calrissian. Uh, and I'm, I've read that that like doesn't necessarily slow down when Atlanta season two comes back, but is like a factor. But what can you tell us about season two? Anything? I mean, like, is it just sort of in its most basic creative embryonic stage? Yeah. I mean, they are they are at Donald's house right now uh, writing, but, you know, it's going really well. And I think, you know, we'll have um, all the scripts done before he goes off to Cloud City. To, yeah. cl- to Cloud City. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, but, you know, we you know, we don't have any. Um, you know, we haven't heard, we haven't read any scripts yet, but, um, but, you know, Donald's really excited about it. And we, you know, we had a, you know, one other thing about the show that I think is interesting, because we were just talking about this with Donald yesterday, you know, and he talked about how um, uh, binary the internet is, right? Mm-hmm. Like with everything, it's either you, you love it or hate it. There's mm-hmm. no sort of middle ground. And I think what's so kind of cool about the show is that, it's all kind of very, in the, you know, somewhat um, gray and in the middle and mm-hmm. kind of getting a feeling that is neither, you know, all the way in one direction or the other. It's, you know, it's like the anti-zeros and ones kind of show, mm-hmm. which I thought was like a really cool way of looking at it. I want to talk specifically about something in the in the finale, which was just another pretty magnificent episode um there's a scene uh when Ern has failed to get his jacket at the strip club and he walks up to paperboy and darius uh on a couch in the middle of the field <laughs> um and it's it's an incredible beautiful shot and it's the kind of shot that you can only get in a show that is set in a place that is filmed in a place and filmed by people who have a sense of that place i immediately feel transported to it you can sort of hear, like, you know, I'm thinking also of the scene when they're waiting for the Uber driver and you, you sort of hear the underbush, you hear crickets, and you feel like you're somewhere. But specifically in that scene when he walks up, nothing happens in that scene. They're eating sunflower seeds. Darius is wondering about what's the profit margins on them. Ern asks for Alfred's phone. Alfred's hot and doesn't want to get up. They're hungover. <laughs> That's the scene. And I'm wondering that scene on paper must look like less than nothing. It's just people talking about stuff and right. everything that it makes that scene. It doesn't even actually have, it's it literally like the goal of that scene is Ern getting Alfred to give him a ride. And everything, so, and yet the, the sum total of it is everything I love about the show. That takes a level of confidence that I'm, it, I'm just blown away by that that confidence exists in season one of something new. Well, it was, I mean, it's how many shows have it, have it, have a scene where two people are talking at the same time, <laughs> right. and so I, I sort of I rewatched the finale uh, the other night with my wife, and I sort of this time I was only listening to Darius talk about yeah. sunflower seeds. Yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah. That, that's a experience. Money. That's a good scene too. But so the, would, by the time that came around, by the time you're getting those scripts, and you see well, here's a scene where they're just on a couch. At that point, you know they can pull this off. Yeah, I mean. You, yeah, I mean, I, I and I'm also not. We're not sort of getting into the minutia of like, oh, how are people going to know in this scene? It's such a right. at this point, you know, it's such a it's such a visual show, and 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 you have the confidence that these guys these guys know what they're doing, and so most of our thoughts on anything are more at the ten thousand foot level, you know, of just right. making sure it's achieving what it wants to achieve and not getting caught in the weeds of like how are you gonna how are, two people are talking yeah, what's going the on here, over yeah. here yeah right in, in general um 
when talking about TV, one of the things that 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 I'm I'm passionate about is it, it's pretty exciting and fascinating and ultimately rewarding to watch small degrees of failure because TV is the one medium where those failures can be addressed and, and rectified and, and fixed and you can watch someone fail a little bit and succeed bigger and take swings basically um, and get another chance at bat. What is, and, and you don't have to speak specifically about Atlanta, just in general if there's an uh, internal philosophy about this, what is the FX attitude towards little failures if that makes sense where you know an episode you've, you're, you're invested in a person or a couple people and a creative vision and you know that episode 7 might be a little weak or might be a little baggier they might have bitten off too much and they, that they can chew like that's part is that part of is that baked into the process yeah I mean I don't know if it's baked into the process but you know don't don't overreact you know just relax you know <laughs> like try and help the creator make that episode the best episode it can be and um, you know hopefully know that this is not going to be this thing that's going to I think if you're worried that like oh my god this is going to be the episode where it's going to make people jump out of the show you know you're you're, you're just going to play tight and you have to just find a way to be more constructive and not kind of um, overly worry about it and uh, at the same time, don't don't bury your head in the sand. And and I think if we see, you know, someone really walking down the the the, the wrong path, we're, we're pretty vocal about it. But it's collaboration. Um, I was curious about. And we can start talking a little bit, like more generally, unless you well, have. Well, just one last one. Yeah, yeah. The BAN episode. Um, for people who don't know it by its title, that's the uh, th- that's the episode that's essentially like the um, the BET television show. Uh, Donald Glover doesn't appear in the episode at all. He's normally the star of the show. He directed that episode. It has a lot of amazing sketches and commercials, and it's just completely out there. That was episode five, I think, of season one, something like that. Yeah, I think I think it, it, we read it like as the seventh or eighth, and it moved up. In and the it order. moved up. That's even worse. So, but I think it's like also by that time you're like, okay, you know, like this seems yeah, this seems. Totally crazy, and but that's it's also a two-episode run where I think he only appears in one yeah. scene. What, what's the? What's the? How, how were you when you read? That? I mean, I obviously excited because it turned out great. But is at that point in the collaboration when you're reading these scripts and you're all you're fully invested? Are you just ex, are you as excited as we are as viewers? Or there has to be some some old TV muscle in your brain being like, wait a second now. Yeah, like you know, if you're not if you're not a little bit scared or nervous or just like really like then maybe you're not you know maybe you're playing it too safe right and so I think on all these shows have been moments where you're like whoa like this is um you know it's funny and I think it still is sort of continuing the paperboy storyline and so I understand how it fits in and it's funny and it's you know, and and it has a point of view, and so you know, just because Earn doesn't appear in it doesn't mean you know, like it, it, as long as it's um, as long as it's compelling, I think it's 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 good. And, and you know, one thing we always say is like, just don't just don't be boring, just be compelling, be surprising. And that's you know, as a viewer, that's really what I want to do. I want to be surprised and feel like I'm in the hands of a really good storyteller. And I, if I feel those two things, I'm in. I think though that. It under, it almost it's it doesn't get talked about enough about with the show is that there is a workplace comedy in it there is a will there or won't they mm-hmm. in it there is a degree to which it's it's working off of like the friends model of like people hanging out 
there's a lot of traditional television stuff inside of Atlanta. It's just all this formal invention, and I think so much style and so much of his point of view, which is just the most remarkable thing about it. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Sonos. Sonos is the smart speaker system that streams all of your favorite music to any room or every room. You can control your music with one simple app and fill your home with pure, immersive sound. I love Sonos. You can play Spotify in one room. You can play Tune in Radio in another. You can listen to jazz in one room. You can listen to classical in another. You can do whatever you want with this. It's like having a, a, like a robot butler for all of your music. It brings you all of your music in one app and one simple app brings together all of your favorite music service and lets you control everything from the songs to the volume in the rooms. You can have music very high in the kitchen when you're cooking or very low in the living room if you've also got a game on. Uh, it plays in any room or every room all at once. Play a different song in the living room, bedroom, even bathroom, or even the same track in every room. Add existing music services or discover something new. There's tons of options on Sonos, so you want to get into that. Hey guys, today The Watch is sponsored by Blurb. Have you ever wanted to create a book or maybe a magazine? Do you have some stories or maybe a journal or a ton of fantastic old family photos that you always thought would make a nice book? Maybe you have friends and family to deserve a thoughtful present this holiday season. I know I do, and Blurb knows that you do too. Bookmaking platform that allows you to create, publish, share, and sell your own professional quality books from your computer, tablet, or phone. Blurb has a variety of easy-to-use formats like photo books, trade books, magazines, and e-books. With free built-in layouts and templates, it's never been easier to design family books, travel books, food books, and more. And if you're having an issue, Blurb has experts available to assist you every step of the way. Print one copy or many, and you can even sell your books on Amazon or Apple iBookstore. Visit blurb.com slash watch and enter promo code watch for 25% off your very own blurb photo book. That's blurb.com slash watch and code watch at checkout for 25% off. Blurb, make a book, leave your mark. Um, I wanted to ask you whether or not you have been inundated mm-hmm. with people coming with their Atlanta yet. And, and, and you know, if you are interested... Just think about it. Vancouver, mm. four white guys opening yeah. up a hipster hot dog truck in, in downtown Vancouver. You're looking at me. I'm <laughs> loving it. I'm listening. <laughs> but do you, do you feel like in a copycat industry, like you're going to start seeing a lot of like... We have, we're deep in development on Winnipeg. Great. So Sorry. I, I can't do <laughs> Winnipeg. It's just like minor league hockey players who hang out at... Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, look, I mean, I think... What, what what I would hope is the 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 trend right is just these more of these kind of auteur you know real strong points of view mm-hmm. show, um, and like I mean, part of my our jobs at you know is to stay ahead of it and not kind of copy sort of what we've done and try and find something new and original. So you know look. I've I've found that almost everything we've done, success or failure, has um, begets something else that comes in, and I and I feel like it's it's I mean it's a for me it's been like a fourteen year process, and I think you know John Langraff, Eric Schreier, and I who've been working together for over twelve years, you know it's been this it's been this long process, but it, you know every it's brick by brick and mm-hmm. things beget other things and so um yeah this will this will this will this will lead to something it's not going to be the thing that you think it will 
but it will. So that's not bring, a hard no bring, on Vancouver. So I, it's I, not yeah, a hard no. Uh, it's uh, not uh, a pass. <laughs> it's definitely like we, he, he wants to develop it. Yeah. I think is what I heard. Blinking there. yellow. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of widespread panic in the soundtrack. A lot of a lot of like that's, mid nineties. That's, that's a hard no now. Virginia yeah. jam band. Look, we just did to this guy. This, this is the guy who had the paperboy track as an MP3. It was my ringtone. So I feel like TCA a year ago. You gotta remember eight string bass. It's coming back. You gotta target your pitches, man. Well, I think one thing that people. Um, don't appreciate fully is that the job that you guys have is you are obviously in the weeds day to day. You are making a show like Atlanta and, and overseeing it, it being on the air. But the bulk of your job is two years down the line, right? I mean, you are you are we're, we're talking about how Atlanta has affected TV in 2016, but you're already deep in conversations about what you'll have on the air in 2018 and potentially potentially beyond. So if people are being so reactive and saying, "Well, I." You do it. You do Atlanta. I'll do Mobile. Like that's that time they've already passed, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, right. And but it still is. I I do think e- each show will lead to something else. And look, and we have you know, look to me. I think the show that to me is the most like Atlanta in my mind is Better Things. You know, in that it's 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 someone's. you know sort of incredible original point of view and so I mean we're just so it's kind of amazing that we ended up with both of these shows at the same time I mean I think we wanted to we didn't want to stack them back to back on the same night I think we, we we had the ability to put them on on the same week but on different nights and so they can sort of coexist and be their own shows but I I think they're those shows remind me a lot of each other. And I mean, that's more what I, you know, look, would I like more shows with diverse casts that'd be, and creators? That'd be fantastic. Yeah. And hopefully we'll, we'll find those. But, you know, what Atlanta to me is just, it's more just, a, you know, someone's singular original vision. More of that would be great. One thing that we've been talking about a lot, and I'm sure this, we're not the only people having this conversation, is that the TV that feels most um, vibrant and exciting in 2016 tends to be in the half-hour format or in the anthology series format. Now, it's no coincidence then that your network excels in both of those and has invested heavily. And almost as if you were, it, I mean, it's, it's almost like good investment. You were well protected for whatever the the market was demanding this year because you invested heavily in those in those particular stocks. What are your thoughts now on the state of the drama, the hour, the hour-long show? I mean, I, I don't know if, since there's as much drama in Atlanta and in some of your half hours as anything else. Maybe we don't use those terms anymore. But the the serialized continuing hour-long show. Yeah, I mean, look, part of why we we got into the limited series business was, you know, there was there was something that was feeling um, stale and predictable about the sort of six years, mm-hmm. six, 60, 70 hour movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing we tried to, you know, we were hearing pitches of things that, you know, well, maybe this could be two years, maybe this could be three years. And instead of letting the, the business dictate the creative, we thought, okay, let's let the creative um, dictate the business. We'll figure out how to make a, a business out of limited series. And, you know, it's sort of, that's blown up creatively in a good way, the one-hour format, I think the way um, these half-hours have by really, by sort of saying, well, this show can be anything it wants to be, so let's let's do this, let's do this. And, and I feel like the feeling of watching Fargo is so, 
exhilarating because you know how many how many 10 hour movies have you seen in your life right right not not that many and so it's just it's a different if it's it's a different animal and so look we constantly we look wolf someone will figure out how to look there are a lot of real still really good dramas mm-hmm. on on our network and on other networks and someone else will figure out a way to to do uh you know a a continuing scripted one hour that's as mind-blowing as any of these other shows that we're talking about but is there a reason i mean do you think that it it's just something that dovetails with the kind of shattered attention spans of the of people that we have now that people are more willing to experiment with their time with like a 32 minute show or a 28 minute show than they are with a 50 i mean we we talk about this all the time but even with something that we adored like night of or um i'm trying to think of another example but like you know solid 57 minute runtime like on in a in a world that is our world that you're just like this is just a lot it feels daunting it feels daunting where where i'm like oh i've got an atlanta on the dvr or something like that i'm like great or or even starting something you know it just feels less no agreed that that sometimes it just feels like you know, so much work to catch up, like on a show like The Americans, Chris. <laughs> but um, well worth it. Yes, Chris. Yeah. Ryan. I've just been in the Great. basement with Vancouver, just like shaping. Okay. You know what I mean? And, and when I come out, I can't wait. Like can't I, th- wait. I think it still comes from, you know, our our instinct is just finding something really different and 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 original. And so, like I th- I th- I think. I think if something feels really different and original, and it's there, it's it's an hour, you know, each week, people will find it, and I think cherish it if it's if it's different. And I think there's, you know, not only are you competing with every show on the air right now, you're competing with every show that's on the season. You're competing with every show that's ever been made in the history of television. <laughs> you're competing with every movie that's ever been made, yeah. and so I think it's less. And video games and Facebook. Yeah, you gotta just be. You gotta give people a reason to pick this show and watch yeah. this show. And I think, like, if you can tap into something that's hitting the collective consciousness, I think that that really helps. That that you can have a conversation about it. And I think, um, you know, Atlanta feels like one of these shows where it reminds me of an hour that mm-hmm. people are watching on a weekly basis and talking about that episode. And that's so cool that that that. You know there can be that conversation about shows, and especially I, don't, I just don't remember the last time people are were, you know, talking about a half hour show on a sort of a weekly basis as if it's like you Game just, of Thrones, like on a podcast almost. Yeah. yeah, you just sort of answered my question, but I mean, like we talk about the this sort of fake TV championship belt that we give out. And I think that at this point, Atlanta has been like standing on top at the end of the cage match, showing everybody the belt <laughs> for about eight weeks now, but. Um, this show somehow, and I haven't been able to articulate it to myself, I don't even know if we've been able to articulate to each other, so maybe you can. How did it do that? How are we at a point where a 30-minute dramedy, for lack of a better description, or comma, you know, like whatever, it, is com- able com- to feel like, like Thrones or Lost or Aventi. Sopranos, yeah. where, and actually, I, you know, I had the, op- I think that I, I, I wouldn't have wanted to binge Atlanta. I wouldn't have wanted to watch Atlanta in a five-hour mm-hmm. burst. No, because I don't look. I mean, people will do it, and I think they'll still really enjoy it. And I, I don't want to, you know, discourage anyone from binging it who hasn't seen it. 
But I think that the, the, the weekly process really allows you uh, the distance to appreciate the, the specific episode, you know, because it is, you know, and what I think one thing that was so great about the finale is that, um, you know, because some of the episodes are so different, you sort of forget that you got launched on a journey at mm-hmm. the beginning and somehow you didn't even realize you were on a plane and all of a sudden you get to the end you're like, oh my God, they just landed this plane for season one and I didn't even realize mm-hmm. realize it. And I mean, that. I mean, I remember watching the rough cut and Elevators comes on and oh, I, 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 like a tear popped out of my oh, eye yeah. of just like sort of both the emotion of like being immersed in the show and just sort of being in awe of, oh my God, you know, we really told a complete story, uh, t- uh, you know, it was a five hour movie in a way. There's and a saved outcast to the end, which was just that song a, too, Italian chef just, kissing fingers. That yeah. was perfect. I think that song for a lot of people represents something. And there's like a lot of like sort of just echoes through you're watching it. This character is listening to this song, but also that person like Glover is playing it. So you kind of like are aware of the process of it's happening. And that song is about the sort of how hard it is to be creative, a, a creative person and want to express yourself in the world. And then you see this active expression and you're like, they did it. I can't believe it. And this song is playing, which is both something I listened to, you know, in, you know, 15 years ago and I'm listening to now and I'm listening to within the show that I love. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a lot of layers to that experience. Yeah, I, I mean, think a I, lot of my friends were just like, holy shit, and if this you is listen, happening. Obviously, if you listen to the lyrics of the song, it, it, it's very connected. But yeah. let's say you didn't. That it's a feeling, right? Oh, yeah. And it's a feeling that is perfectly appropriate for that moment. It's almost like it, like score for you know what Ern's going through right now. So it you know really it hits you with sort of both barrels. I think the the metaphor you had about the plane fits perfectly with what you were saying about what what you want and what I think many people want in their in their television, which is and it's a trick. I just wanted to go back to it because it's trickier, I think, than it even sounds. Which is you want to go on a on an unexpected journey, but you want to trust the driver. Like you want to get on a plane to 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 an unknown destination, but you you got to have faith in the pilot. Yeah, yeah. It's you would tough. never get on a plane to an unknown destination. Absolutely right. <laughs> I meant the, you know, the, the the theoretical. Yeah, idea. right, right, right. Um, yeah, good, it's, it's good call on that. Whitaker here. <laughs> Isn't that the moment when I won't even watch when you flight. when you dive out of a show, maybe consciously or unconsciously? It's yeah. probably because you've lost faith in the pilot. Yes, and but you know it's building that confidence. You want to trust someone, but you feel scared of getting burned. Building confidence in someone new. I mean, that relationship sort Andy, of defines... Andy, do you ever question the nature of your reality? Whoa, nice job. <laughs> now, if elevators had been played instrumental on a player piano, I would have been like, this is really genius. No, but but that is that to me is the trickiest thing to... That balance is the trickiest thing to manage. Donald, as you said, pulled it off and surprised even you in the making of it. But in the big picture, I think what, what our, this conversation has been, been uh, highlighting is that sort of surprise unsettling the audience is one of the last cards left in the deck and there's a way to do it that is i think i think the cheap way it's pure shock and i'll say something like what walking dead does to my mind is in that category you don't have to be on the record saying one thing or the other about it but um when we're talking about about dramas you were saying how you know people started to feel that 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 template of the 12 episodes the six years got a little got a little tired, you know, because there would be a, you know, a death in episode, the penultimate episode, and episode 12 would end with a nice music montage, and then we'd bring the whole gang back together again. But the other thing the limited series model does is it's all the sacred cows are now fair game. 
like you, you watch a show, we sort of know now, even if it's a avant-garde drama, um, Don Draper's going to survive yeah. until season six or seven, or depending on how, you know, unless the Matt Weiner fights with the studio. Um, if it's a limited series, who knows? And then we get the chance to do it again, potentially with the same pilot. And that's a relationship that can build and can be built upon. But that, that is essentially a new way of engaging with TV. We yeah. fit. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, you, you. No, and, 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 and it's like how many times can you go to the, to the well of the, of the death of someone, too? I mean, it really, it's, it's or, you know, or murder, it's, it sort of has, it's lost its punch unless it's really rooted in character. And, you know, um, you know I still, the, the moment of the end of the pilot of the shield is still something forever etched in my, it's the thing that, that made me, you know, beg to go work at FX. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's, it's one of the few holy shit moments that works on every level of like, Oh my God, you know, I can't believe this guy just did this. And it tells me so much about his character and I'm still conflicted about this character even though he just did it you know and I think you know we're all ch chasing to find these holy shit moments and it's it's really hard to be original there do you guys feel like so you obviously have um, and I know you're only going to be able to talk in detail about certain th elements of this but you know, you have Americans, it's in multi-season. You had Sons of Anarchy, which was a long run. S.H.I.E.L.D. was a long run. Is there still value to having almost like an innings-eater kind of drama like that that is going to take up like a lot of time and have that long run? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's, it's um, for, for a multi, you know, multitude of reasons. It's, you know, it, it, it usually these shows grow in audiences mm -hmm. over time. Um, it's a fantastic business to be in. And, um, yeah, I mean, it defines, I mean, it's probably more brand defining than anything else. And so, you know, everyone wants to find their sense of anarchy, yeah. their Game of Thrones. And so, yeah, that, that, like, that's still the, that's the holy grail. And, you know, you can't give up on that search. I can't let Nick go without bringing up my favorite subject, so Chris can put on his headphones or something. But <laughs> you, you, you did mention, you know, these long, long-running shows tend to build audiences. They go, um, build acclaim. The thing about the Americans, which I still think is the best, certainly the best drama on TV. I think it, I'm not sure Atlanta and the Americans are my favorite shows of the year, uh, and I'm not just saying that because you're in the room. But the Americans, you know, has been has gotten better and better in quality every year. Um, it's gotten more and more engaging every year. The audience has not grown necessarily in any enormous appreciable ways, at least that that I can divine. Um, and yet this year it broke through at the Emmys. And I, I don't even know if we had this conversation, but I certainly had this conversation with others that a lot of people felt that well, the show is the show. It's as good as it is, and at this point it probably won't get the Emmy attention because it, you know, for the same reason that Chris might not watch it, it it takes a lot of homework to catch up, and it's. But yet this year it did break through. What what was the reaction? Were you surprised about that? Um, obviously you were gratified. What was the, what I mean, did that we, mean internally to the network? Like I, I had I kind of felt like Linus with the football every year, and <laughs> yeah. so you know I think this was the year where we're like you know what I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fall for it. I'm just gonna get disappointed again. But um, but it was you know we were all screaming and um, when the when the nominations came out, look I, I think partly it was um, you know I think when you have all these critics and people out there you know keeping on the meme that this is not 
this is a great show. This is the best show in television. I think at some point that you know inspires more people to catch up and watch it, or it just you know it, it it's like a self fulfilling prophecy, and and people sort of come back to the show and they realize, yeah, this is the best show on television or one of the best shows on television. And I think it's just without that drumbeat from mm-hmm. people like you guys and the, and well, the, and one, the one, one of you. One arm drummer. Kind of like Death Leopard. So, yeah. <laughs> Solo drummer that. Tate maybe too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it just, without that drumbeat, this, this, um, this doesn't happen. And maybe, you know, we're also living in an age where that kind of recommendation you know, on you know, online can, can can really thrive, and there can be this um, consensus. But it's still just remarkable to me, and, and in a wonderful way, that a show that never lit the ratings world on fire not only was able to flourish and thrive, but you, you've now given it you, you you gave it its runway. You know, you said, okay, we're going to give you two more seasons. You're going to end the story the way you want to end it. Um, Without getting into the financial weeds of how this makes sense, because that's you know I, I don't think that's probably proprietary information anyway. Explain the the value of that decision making and that investment for your for, from your side of the desk. We joke about this because it you know it's one of the steps of the dentist system you know of from it's always sunny in Philadelphia but, oh, yeah. but the D is demonstrate value <laughs> and <laughs> like I, 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 I think um, the dentist system. <laughs> Like, you know, a, a perfect world, you have something that is both a huge, you know, critical success and a big rating success. And, and, and that's the, the Grand Slam home run. That's what you want. You're not, every show is not going to be that. And so, you know, I think you just need a show to, to, to demonstrate, you know, you know, how value, the Americans is very valuable to us. Part, part, part of what our jobs are is like I'm we're marketing a brand of FX that um, by the whole roll up of all these shows and so um, if you can have a show even before it sort of broke through in the Emmy category that that critics are talking about as being one of the best shows on television that has value Mm -hmm. so you know you can't have a, a whole roster of of these kinds of shows, and when you say value, value in terms of representing the brand, selling the brand, attracting talent. Yeah, um, you're 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 in, you know, in top ten conversations mm-hmm. at the end of every year. You're, you know, you're represented in AFI's ten best shows of the year. You're you're in a lot of conversations, and not not this one on this podcast. No, but, but it is. I can see how it would almost be <laughs> like if you were a college football team, right? And maybe you go like. 10 and 2 but six guys get drafted it's like you, you there's ways to show what you are beyond just like we won the yeah. national championship yeah. of readings or whatever but that's that sort takes, of force analogy but I get it but that sure. takes the macro viewpoint that you were talking about in relation to managing the show as well you have to take the long view as to what every piece of the puzzle means as more than just that puzzle piece yeah and um, you know look the, it's all a roll up right we're, we're, we're both a the individual shows, but we're also the roll-up of all these shows together. And I, I, I would hope at this point, like knowing that it's a show from FX, at least people will stand up and say, "Okay, like give it a chance." They, like I'll give it a chance. I think that's why Chris wants to give you exclusive first look at Vancouver. I mean, there I are think, other people in conversation. Oh, yeah, really? Oh, no. you've been you've been talking around the town. National Geographic is very competitive on this show. <laughs> Nat Geo. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Getting scripted. I, I wanted to actually ask you one more thing before we let you go. Um, we've been doing this future of movies package on uh, on the Ringer this week, where we've been talking 
with a bunch of different places like Blumhouse horror movies folks and um, we have a piece going soon that talks a lot about basically the struggle to get what would have been the movie version of the Americans or the movie version of Atlanta or the movie version of Better Things like basically all, or almost impossible to release uh, on a mass level right now you have to make them in either like Moonlight or you have to do you have to have Doctor Strange in it um I was wondering if, over the course of the last decade and a half that you've been working with FX, whether or not you've noticed that shift, whether or not you've seen, I mean, you guys have obviously started, you know, you, you work with incredibly talented people. You have more and more talented people probably banging on your door asking if you're interested in Vancouver or what have you. Like, whether or not you're noticing that shift where, because the movies have become kind of a proposition where it's like these blockbusters, um, and and a lot of animated fare and a lot of intellectual like uh, you know IP that they're working on. But like you guys, are you guys kind of seeing a change in the landscape where television has taken over a large part of scripted drama, scripted comedy that the movies just don't have time for anymore? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's you know look we we've noticed it. I mean in that lots of um, you know we'll, we'll sit down with actors who are so. Um, you know, frustrated with with the experience of, um, you know, serving the plot. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, TV could always be, you know, much more character based. But I think, you know, it's sort of in the post Sopranos world. I mean, the idea of, you know, a sixty hour movie. You know, um, you know, who thought you could ever make a. a uh, a mob movie better than Godfather or right. Goodfellas and you know I think you know Sopranos is in you know maybe it's not necessarily all about the mob but it's it's in that conversation because it's you're getting you're, you're all the scenes that end up on the cutting room floor for most of these movies are are part of you know of part of these character dramas and so look yeah no and we feel it for, you know, look I mean, you you know, when you're starting out, you know, the the feature agents, you know, you sort of make a an inquiry about a certain actor, mm-hmm. you know, and it's gone from fuck off to yeah, let's <laughs> let's take a look at that script. So yeah, you can you can you can you can you can definitely feel it. And it was even before the limited series stuff, which yeah. is now, you know, they're eight to ten hour movies. It's like, well, the, the, this is just a a chunk out of someone's time that's going to take the the length of of any movie. So. That shouldn't affect it, and you know, and so it's it's you know you're feeling like there's a certain amount of of parody, if not, um, you know, I think actors are are artists, right? And I think yeah. that, you know, I think there's you know, I don't think people want to be wearing a green suit all day. No, no, and I also think that you know, if Atlanta had been a movie and it was you know, say. The first two episodes, maybe the last two episodes. You know what I mean. And you put that together. And, and the malt liquor commercial. Yeah, and the malt, or whatever you wanted to do. And the invisible it. car. Yeah, but well, you know, I, you know, what movies are? I, they're such a big bet, right? Right. In that you have to sort of go all in on them. Just even a a smallish movie, just to get distributed and pay everyone. It's it's a fairly big bet, and I think TV is still. Again, we have we have a little bit of a laboratory. We can sort of make a pilot and then, you know, see if that if if it's all working there and then put it on. We just we don't have to 
it's a little more incremental as you get on the air. You don't have to spend, um, you know, $150 million just to see if something original can work. And so unless it's about Western Canada, yeah. in which case that's his, that's his pay to play deal. Um, I think those are the numbers he's looking at. I, before we let you go, anything, I'm sure you love all your babies equally, anything coming from FX soonish that we should be uh, excited about, we should keep on our radar. Yeah. I mean, we're, I'm really excited about Legion and Taboo, which are coming in the, in the new year. That's Taboo's Tom Hardy. Yeah. Uh, and it, I mean, it's, it, Tom you know, and Chick Hardy, right? Chips. Chips. Chips Tom Hardy. Chip. Chips Hardy. Have you, did you get a FaceTime with Chips? Can Tom and Chips Tom come on this dad. podcast? Yeah. <laughs> so, but some of us have. I mean, it, it, Tom is is so incredible in this, and he's super committed, and Steve Knight is such a fantastic yeah. uh, writer and creator. And, um, you know, look, on paper, you know, you know, if you said, oh, yeah, there's a show that takes place in you know london in in 1813 in the middle of the you know war of 1812 you know uh, about sort of a rivalry with someone with the the east india company and the and the crown and the colonies you know i said i don't know if that's on brand and we read the script you know with tom attached and i mean it is you know it is so much of a sort of a of a of a show of what we do. I mean, it, it, it is, you know, it does not feel period, even though it's incredibly authentic and it's just Tom's fantastic. In it, and we're really excited about it. And Legion is, you know, so much of like a different way to imagine a superhero movie. Yeah. And it's just so much of a character piece. And, you know, if you're out there wondering, you know, if, you know, like the love child of Wes Anderson and Stanley Kubrick directed a, uh, a X Men movie. What that would look like? Uh, hopefully, you know, you're going to get some kind of version of that. I, I'm interested in that. I am also interested in, in Taboo quite a bit. I am also interested in pitching Tom Hardy and Steve Knight a remake of their film Locke with the Invisible Car from Atlanta, <laughs> which I think would really you change guys have things to get into a the lot. FX expanded universe. You know, that's really <laughs> I think that's right. All right, Nick Grad, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, it's guys. Been a pleasure. It's a pleasure it's being here. So nice to have you, and uh, great job, Marinsky. Yeah. It's just great, great job. See you Monday. Thanks again to Sonos for sponsoring us today. Sonos is the smart speaker system that streams all your favorite music to any room or every room. You control your music with one simple app and fill your home with pure, immersive sound. I cannot speak highly enough about Sonos. You get to listen to Spotify, Apple Music, TuneIn Radio. You can listen to radio stations from all across the country. Uh, You can listen to classical jazz, rock, and different rooms. It's an incredible application. It brings together your favorite music services and lets you control everything. You can control the songs uh, the volume of the songs in various rooms so you can have loud music while you're cooking you can have soft music if you've got a game on in the background you play a different song in the living room bedroom or even the bathroom you can listen to the same track in every room you can add your existing music services or you can discover something new there's tons to find on the Sonos app I cannot speak highly enough about Sonos check it out Today's show is also brought to you by the podcast Secrets, Crimes, and Audio Tape. Secret Crimes and Audio Tape is an audio drama told week to week that features stories about crime, love, mystery, or conspiracy with actors you know and love. Some are dramas, some are comedies. The latest episode is a thriller called Severed Threads about faith, greed, and revenge. 
Make sure you don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to Secrets, Crimes, and Audio Tape on iTunes, Stitcher, Wondery.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts.